In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, cleanse my heart and my lips, Almighty God, that I may proclaim your gospel worthily. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but they would be too much for you now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will lead you to the complete truth, since he will not be speaking as from himself, but will say only what he has learned, and he will tell you of the things to come. He will glorify me, since all he tells you will be taken from what is mine. Everything the Father has is mine. That is why I said, all he tells you will be taken from what is mine. The Gospel of the Lord. St. Augustine once wrote this about the Most Holy Trinity, that in no other subject is error more dangerous or inquiry more laborious or the discovery of truth more profitable. Yet, the Most Holy Trinity is not some obscure concept which is alien to us. On the contrary, it pervades every aspect of our faith life, from the sign of the cross made in the name of the three persons of the triune God to the Trinitarian Pauline greeting which the priest uses at the beginning of the Mass and the blessing at its end to how prayers, especially liturgical ones, are formulated to the creed which we profess and to the formula used when we were baptized. And yet, it's one of those topics which many, including us clergy, would attempt to avoid talking about because it's one of those things that we find most challenging to explain. Of course, let's be honest, the greatest challenge is for us priests to wrap our heads around it before attempting to unpack it for others. The Catechism of the Catholic Church speaks of the doctrine of the Most Holy Trinity as the central mystery of our faith, which is a huge claim. The doctrine of the Most Holy Trinity is not just one teaching among many. It is the Christian teaching of the very nature of God, the core belief and the essence of our Christian faith. Everything a Christian does flows from this teaching, is centered upon this teaching, and leads back to this teaching. Yet we have to acknowledge that this mystery seems to be the most mysterious among the hierarchy of truths which the Church professes and teaches. But how should we understand it as a mystery? There is a misconception that the mystery of the Trinity is difficult to understand and therefore difficult to teach. We have to get past that. The mystery is no mystery in the sense of a puzzle. It isn't like an impossibly complex mathematical riddle to be solved. Rather, it is a mystery in the same way love is a mystery. We all understand love, yet love is inexplicably hard to describe without resorting to metaphors, analogies or symbolic and poetic language. And like love, we don't need to be able to fully articulate it before we can grasp it. While I can never fully comprehend the incomprehensible, I can be loved by it. The mystery of love is that it is a paradox. The more we give ourselves to, a, to another, the more we receive. 
The more we unite ourselves to another, the more we become our true self. The Trinity is a mystery in the very same way. Some may argue that if our Lord Jesus truly wanted us to understand this profound concept, which is the mystery of the inner being and relationship between Him and the Father and the Holy Spirit, He should have spelled it out clearly, leaving no room for ambiguity. But He did not do so, because as pointed out in today's Gospel passage, He still has many things to say to you, but they would, not be, they would be too much for you now. But this would change with the coming of the Holy Spirit, because when the Spirit of Truth comes, he will lead you to complete truth, since he will not be speaking as from himself, but will say only what he has learned. Our Lord knew that the Church had to do more than repeat his words, tell the stories about his deeds and the avengers of the early Christian community. That is why he gave his apostles and their successors the Spirit of Truth, to guide them as they sought to make his saving truths known in every time and place. What is this complete truth which our Lord is referring to? For one, it is objective and eternal. In other words, the truth is not a matter of consensus. We don't fashion truth to suit our opinions or desires. It is common today to speak of your truth and my truth, and that, in, that is, instead of looking at objective facts we often hear people speaking of their lived experiences, suggesting that every person's truth is unique and irreplaceable and therefore infallible and unchallengeable. The complete truth of the Lord, however, cannot be something malleable, easily molded according to our personal agenda or likes and dislikes. Rather, it is we who must conform to the objective truths revealed to us by God. And if we are humble and strive to be faithful, then the Holy Spirit will gently lead us and transform us with that truth. But the most complete truth is not like any other objective truth which we can speak of. The self-revelation of God is, in fact, that complete truth. For above the truth of God, there can never be any other truth, and all truth found in the created world is only a shadow and a reflection of his truth. The inner truth of God is this, that the most original and unconditional love of the Father is matched and answered by the equally absolute reciprocal love of the Son. We can understand and participate inwardly in this mystery of love. If the Spirit, who is both the mutuality and the fruit of, the, of this eternal love, is made to penetrate us. The Spirit binds us to divine love itself. Indeed, this is what St. Paul proclaims to the Romans in the second reading, that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. It is an undeniable reality that we who believe in the primacy of the truth revealed to us by God are now engaged in the direct confrontation of the greater culture which denies the existence of objective truth. What more the doctrine of the Most Holy Trinity that finds no equivalent correspondence in this life? Perhaps the world continues to reject the revelation of the Trinity precisely 
because we have been bad witnesses. Our lack of love or care for others, our penchant to be selfish and individualistic, our tendency to parade and to pander to the maddening crowd rather than to stand up to defend the truth. How wonderful it would be if we could just reflect the life of the Most Holy Trinity in our lives. That would be our most convincing and effective way of evangelizing. And so on this day, we affirm once again the truth of the one true God in three persons, co-equal in dignity and substance. We recognize that it is less important to focus on the math of the Trinity and more important to focus on the why. Why would God go to all the trouble of creating the world, creating us, then sending his son to save us? and his Holy Spirit to guide, inspire, and sanctify the church. We arrive at the same answer as the early disciples. God is love. So according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, God has no other reason for creating than his love and goodness. Creature came into evidence, into existence, when the key of love opened his hand. This is the complete truth, and nothing less than the complete truth. That is the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity. May His holy name be praised. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.